Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. If you're joining us in the room, we are glad that you are here. Thank you for joining First Christian Church. And if you're joining us online or if you're on the radio, we just want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to connect with you this morning. My name is Sean McIntosh, and if you've attended First Christian Church before, then you are probably more familiar with me as the worship minister. And so this kind of begs the question, what am I doing preaching today? So we're sort of in a unique situation. You see, I'm about fifth on the list of people that should present a message on Sunday morning. And if you recall from the announcements, Gary and Matt, uh, both of our pastors, they are in the Appalachian Trail right now. They're camping and hiking with a group of men. Jimmy is in Delaware, and he's preaching about child sponsorship up there. And Justin is going to be teaching his high schoolers in the next hour. And so that leaves John and I. It's a designated survivor situation. Let's be real. This could be it. So we want to pray and make sure that they come back. But John and I, we drew straws, and I got the preaching straw. And John led us in amazing worship. I am so grateful for him and the talent that he has continued to display for us. Let's give it up for John. Thank you for leading worship, John. But here we are, Johnny, we are the designated survivors. And if you joined us last week, then you probably remember that we are in a series called Spiritual Things. Two weeks ago, we talked about heaven and hell. And the big takeaway was that heaven is going to be awesome and you don't want to miss it. And last week, we talked about the book of Revelation. And the big takeaway is that life is hard. Jesus is coming back. Don't give up. Today, we're going to be talking about angels and demons, and our big idea for today is that God is fighting for you. God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to be able to dig into your word. God, we thank you that you fight for us on a daily basis. We thank you for the way that you continue to be persistent and keeping us and protecting us from the things that are around us. Lord, I pray that we would hear your word today and that we would put it into action. We thank you for who you are and the way that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2016, there was a poll, and it was taken by this Gallup company. They're a company that does analytics, and they revealed that 72% of Americans, they actually believe in angels. For me, this sounded like a higher number than I expected until I started to analyze how often angels and demons are talked about in our pop culture. I remember growing up, and I used to watch movies like Angels in the Outfield. Anybody remember that? I also remember that there was a whole bunch of people and their families that would get into the show touched by an angel. They would binge watch it before binge watching was even a thing. And maybe it's because of all the cartoons that I watched as a kid, but I commonly think about the idea of a person that has an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other constantly fighting for influence over that person. And the truth is, is that we are spoon-fed a ton of theories about angels and what they look like and what their purpose is and how they interact with people today. And I'm sure that some of these theories have got to be true, but since we have the Bible, which is the basis of truth, and since the Bible talks about angels, let's see what the scriptures have to say. And probably the most important fact, everything hinges on this fact, probably the most important fact that we're going to talk about is the fact that angels are real. Many people have asked me if I believe in angels, to which I respond, well, I do. But more importantly, I think they should believe in themselves. Now, that's a joke, but I do believe in angels, and I believe in them because Jesus believed in them. And not only did Jesus believe in angels, but he experienced angels in unusual ways. 
In the book of Matthew, Jesus was ministered to by angels and is said to have authority over them to come to his aid. And Luke, he mentions that angels came to strengthen Jesus when he was distraught about fulfilling his mission to be sacrificed for our sins. I believe that angels are real because Jesus did, and I wholeheartedly believe in Jesus. Here's some other facts about angels. Angels are created. God created angels. They have not always existed like God has. And like the sun and like the moon and the stars and the plants and the animals, the angels are one of the created things of God. Another fact is that angels do not die. As we just stated, angels were created, but they were created to live forever. Angels are immortal. Another fact we can find out is that angels cannot marry. Jesus said in both Matthew and in Luke that angels don't marry. And this is interesting to me because we are told that there are heaps and heaps of angels. And since God considers marriage a sacred union that should precede reproduction, then it's probable that he would have had to create every single angel. Another fact is that angels are very powerful. Peter and Matthew and David, they all talk of the power and the strength of angels. Just think of when the angel of the Lord, he rolled away this massive stone that was covering Jesus's tomb. Yes, the angels invented the rolling stones. You're welcome, Mick. Another fact is, is that angels are not to be worshiped. In Revelation chapter 19, John is writing about a vision that he had where he encountered an angel and if you can imagine this scene of celestial beings all together in unity, worshiping God like a parade, an endless sea of people clapping and shouting about their gratitude and their thankfulness towards God. And then an angel speaks to John and can't help but fall to his knees to worship him. The angel himself, he quickly tells John to get up, to stand up and to worship God. Now we just talked about almost a bunch of different things uh, about angels that are godlike characteristics, and they describe angels. So to me, it is no wonder that John could get caught up in this awe and this wonder that he was seeing. And then this powerful angel, this immortal being, it shows up, and who knows what he looks like? And he falls to his knees to worship. But here's the cool thing. When I think about that, what's cool about this is that John couldn't help but worship an angel. Can you imagine what it will be like when we see God, who is far greater than anything we can imagine an angel to be like. And this very idea, it got me thinking about a few questions that I want us to consider about angels. First one is kind of a no-brainer. What do angels look like? You know, if we look in chapter one of the book of Hebrews, we can see that angels are referred to as spirits. And the Greek word that is used for spirits it's the word pneumata, which is the plural for the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 24 when he says that a spirit does not have flesh and bone. Angels don't have a body like we do. I guess that's why we can be transparent with each other. We do periodically, though, read about angels taking a bodily form and appearing to various people in Scripture. If we look in Genesis chapter 18, we see that Abraham and his nephew Lot, they described angels as men, and they actually ate with them. And all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were told about men that are dressed in white, that appeared at Jesus' resurrection. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, we're told about two men in white that stood by Jesus' disciples during his ascension. And this is fascinating to me because they are spirits who sometimes choose to take the appearance of men. So how do they choose what they want to look like? I mean, what would their thought process be? Would they be like 
hey, Clarence, you gonna go with short hair or long hair this time? Do you think that they use any of current humans right now as inspiration for who they want to be for their appearance? I mean, if that is an option for them, I'm probably thinking a Justin Finn Cannon lookalike has got to be in their top five. Tall, check. Man bun, check. Smolder, check. <laughs> but the truth is, is, is we don't exactly know what angels look like or how they choose their human forms. But we do know that white garments and light and lightning, these are all adjectives that are applied to their appearance. Here's a more important question. What are the angels' purpose? Angels are messengers from God. The New Testament uses the Greek word angelos to refer to angels, which literally means messenger. Angels serve as God's messengers. Think of the angels in Genesis uh, telling Abraham and Sarah that they'll, they'll have a child and their descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Perhaps it was an angel in the burning bush that was calling Moses to deliver the Hebrews. Think of the angel that was named Gabriel, who is in Luke chapter 1, who visits the Virgin Mary and told her that she would miraculously give birth to the Messiah, to the Son of God. The most common interaction that angels have with humans is delivering a message from God. Here's another purpose. Angels worship God. We sang the song, Hymn of Heaven, again today. And last week was our introduction to that song, like John said, and I had several people come up to me last Sunday to let me know how impactful that song was. In the song, one of Phil Wickham's verses says, with one voice, a thousand generations sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This verse comes straight from the worship uh, that angels are giving to God in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, and is one of many verses in the book of Revelation where angels and celestial beings are worshiping God. And think again when we read the book of Luke back to Jesus' birth where the heavenly host appeared and they started singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And then several chapters later in the book of Luke, we read in chapter 15 that angels rejoice when one sinner repents and comes back to God. If we're not careful, we could find ourselves reading about angels in the Bible as if who they are and as if what they've done are only in the past. And while some of the things that they have done are actually in the past, we also read about how God is using angels to fight for us today. So here's my last question. What should we expect from angels in our world today? Well, I think we should expect a solid defense. Pop culture has definitely shaped our view of how we see angels, and I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And in this movie, we see this distraught George Bailey who is ready to take his life when this guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody, comes and tries to intervene. And out of respect for the very small group of people that probably haven't seen the movie yet, even though it came out in 1946 and we've had 75 years to watch it, I won't go into all of the details except to say that George Bailey's life and his family's life were forever changed for the better because of Clarence, his guardian angel. I think it's a beautiful sentiment. And the Bible talks about some verses that maybe describe guardian angels, but we can't prove that each one of us actually have a guardian angel. But we do know that there are thousands upon thousands of angels. In some translations, they use the word myriad to describe the amount of angels that we have in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. And the word myriad, it means uncountable. 
So this means that there could be enough angels to play man-to-man defense. It means that we could possibly have the guardian angels. There are enough angels, but there's also a possibility that God prefers his angels to play his own defense. We just don't know, but however God puts his playbook together, the book of Psalm reminds us in chapter 34 and in verse 7 that the angel of the Lord, he encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. However God runs his defense, it's a solid defense, and we can trust that it will be ready when we need it. Another thing we should expect is a solid offense. In the first sermon of this series, we talked about many things that were unseen or that were invisible. In Revelation chapter 12, it paints this picture of an unseen war that is going on between God's angels and Satan and his angels. And even though we can't see the heavenly realms, we can trust in the Bible that God's angels have and are fighting on our behalf. And that also, and this is important, that in this war, God is victorious. You know, we sing songs uh, like Waymaker that exclaim, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. We can't always see when God and his angels are working in our lives. And we certainly don't always feel it when they're working in our lives, but we are reminded in the book of Matthew that God is always with us to the end of the age. We're reminded in the book of Romans that God is for us, so who could be against us? And we're reminded in the book of John, and this is probably the most important thing, that God loves us so much that he would send his son to die. We should expect a solid defense. We should expect a solid offense. And we should, we should expect a solid teammate. Hebrews 1.14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The word ministering that he uses right here to describe the angels in this verse, it means servant, or it means one who cares for another. This past March, I rode my bike 300 miles from Fort Myers to Key West with several other people from the church. We ride pretty much every year to support missionaries all over the world, partnering with them to share the gospel. Close to 60 people from all over North America, they came together to ride this past year. And I met so many wonderful people and was able to hear how God is working in their lives. But there was one particular man that I met. His name was Adam Lineberry. He joined our five-day tour as a part of a bigger mission of what God has put on his heart. He's riding through 48 states in four years to raise awareness about addiction recovery and to raise funds to build an addiction recovery center where addicts can find help. And as the week went on, we were able to hear his story about how God had intervened in his life to get him out of the depths of drugs and into a life of recovery. He's well over halfway finished with his goal of riding through 48 states. And you can imagine the stories that he has of God's providence and his faithfulness that we were able to hear. But one of the testimonies that he shared with me, it reminded me that God is still working today. Adam was in Oregon, and on this particular day, it was about 105 degrees outside. He said that it was 100 degrees in the shade. And he was on this lonely stretch of road where very few cars were passing, and he was in the middle of nowhere. And he had said that he had run out of water, and he was trying to figure out how he was going to get to his destination. He said that there was a stream of water that was close, but he said that the water was extremely cloudy, and he was afraid of fertilizers and maybe pesticides and a ton of other possible unfavorable things that may have been in the water that he would have to filter out. He mentioned that a car had passed and that he had wished that he had flagged it down just to ask if they had any water or maybe if they could help. And he started to pray to ask God to help. 
He felt like he was in this precarious situation and he wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. But as he's riding, he started heading down over this hill and he mentioned that the wind felt like oven air was just blowing on him. And But then he said that at the bottom of this hill, there was this Toyota Tacoma and it was pulled over with a lady standing by the truck. And as he approached her, he noticed that she had a Coke in one hand and she had a candy bar in the other hand. As he stood there by her, bewildered, she asked him if he was hungry, and he said with desperation in his voice, do you happen to have any water? I really need water. So she goes into her truck, and instead of pulling out some bottled water, she pulls out a pitcher full of water, and she then proceeded to fill all of his bottles that he had full of water. She packed up her truck, and she left, and as quickly as she was there, she was gone. Adam, he's now hydrated. He's still bewildered. He said that he couldn't help but wonder if angels drove Toyotas. Hebrews chapter 13, 2, it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Angels may be by our side at any given moment, and we may have no idea who they are. The other side of the coin is that we may have Satan's angels in our life doing everything in their power to deceive us. Because angels, they had their own fork in the road, just like God gives humans free will to choose him or to reject him, to choose life or to choose death, to choose godliness or to choose worldliness. So God gave the angels the same kind of free will. And like humans, some angels chose to be disobedient to God and to submit to, chose to be obedient to God and to submit to his authority. And some angels chose to reject God and to follow Satan. Jude 1.6 says that there were angels who left their position of authority and they abandoned their proper dwelling and now they're in darkness and they're awaiting this day of judgment. 2 Peter 2.4 it says that there were angels that had sinned and that, they, that, and that God put them in chains of darkness. And again, these angels are also waiting for a day of judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus had just finished telling his disciples a story that, again, describes this day of judgment. And close to the end, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 41, he says... Then he will say to those on his left, depart for me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What we often refer to as demons are actually angels that have used their free will to be disobedient to God. They've chosen to reject God and are now being used to fulfill the will of the devil. And you can be sure that the devil does have a will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to Timothy about how to deal with false teachers. And in verse 26, Paul tells Timothy that he hopes that false teachers will learn the truth so that they can escape the devil's trap who has taken these teachers captive to do his will. Creating a false gospel and having people teach it is exactly the sort of thing that we should expect from Satan. In our sermon series that we preach called Zip It, Pastor Gary, he talked about how lying is the native language of the devil. And the truth comes from John uh, chapter 8, verse 44, which ends by saying that the devil is the father of lies. I think we often give nicknames to people that describe a character trait about that person. And while father of lies is a nickname for the devil that certainly describes a character trait, his real name alone, just what we call him, describes who he is, his intentions, and what we should expect from his angels. So the usual name that we have for the devil is Satan, and this is a transliteration of an ancient Hebrew word, and it means adversary or opponent or one who blocks the way. 
Satan is referenced by name 52 times in the Old Testament and 33 times in the New Testament. And on every occasion, it represents his nature as an opponent and as an enemy of God and mankind. So another word that we have in the Bible that is used to describe Satan is diablos. And this means slanderer. And then there's less frequent names that we apply to the devil, such as Abaddon and Apollyon. And these both mean destroyer. In the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly mocked Satan by calling him Beelzebub, which means, and this is kind of funny, but it means Lord of the dung pile. Incidentally, what flies around dung? Flies. And this is a fun fact, but this is where that term comes from, the Lord of the flies. Did you know that Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians, he tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How hard is it to distinguish which way we should go if both of the paths that we have seem to be illuminated. The great theologian C.S. Lewis, he has some great quotes in this book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a hypothetical story-like book that's written from a demon to a demon's nephew about the best ways to deceive humans into not following God. And he writes, and this is from the demon perspective, he says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. For me, this concept that C.S. Lewis describes of Satan and his angels' tactics, it really hits home because even though I may not be focused on what is evil, I am often distracted from what is good, from what is holy, and from what is righteous. So we can be sure of two things. One, that there is a war being waged. And two, that God is fighting for you. But we're not helpless in this fight. And we're not solely dependent on angels to protect us from the evil ones. God also gives us his mighty power. And when we put on the full armor of God, we are able to take a stand against the devil's schemes. Look what Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 says. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of, the of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. If you look at the names of every one of these pieces of armor, you can see that God's power for us is derived from the results that we get when we read his word. God fights for us by giving us his word, and it's our responsibility, it's our privilege to read his word and to put his word into action. I was seven years old when my parents were divorced and there was a lot of arguments that led up to their separation. 
neither one of them really had a visible faith in Jesus. And so I don't think that they were really depending on any, any spiritual wisdom or any church traditions to keep them together. I also believe that alcohol abuse contributed to their decision to be divorced. But my dad moved out and my mom sold their house shortly thereafter. And they ended up living about four miles away from each other. They worked it out legally to where I was supposed to live with one parent for one week and then I would live with the other parent for the next week. It wasn't ideal, but I did still have both of my parents in my life and they were still consistently involved. But as time went on from their divorce, the rules in their houses started to look a little bit different. I knew that there were things that I could get away with at one house that maybe I couldn't get away with at the other. I also remember that I had two birthday parties and I had two Thanksgivings and I had two Christmases. I'm sure that there's people in this room that are dealing with some of that as well. You could almost say that there were perks, but the trouble was that as they grew apart, things grew more contentious. And when alcohol was in the mix, their disdain, their dislike for each other was definitely multiplied. I felt like I was in the middle of these two opposing forces that were fighting with each other for what they thought was best for me. It was confusing and it was hurtful. We had a lot of tears. But I'm older now and now I have my own kids and I'm able to reflect on their poor decisions with compassion. Because what I didn't know when I was seven years old is that life is tough. As much as I could see my mom and dad as opposable forces that sometimes negatively affected me, what I couldn't see were the opposable forces that were fighting for them. I know the absence of God in their lives and their relationship with each other, it made things a ton harder. And I'm sure, just like the quote that we read from C.S. Lewis, that Satan was doing as much as he could to keep God out of their mind. And as an adult, I have compassion on them because I feel those opposable forces. I feel them every day. Life is difficult enough to get through without the difficulty that Satan and his angels impose on us. And as we get older, oftentimes, things only get harder. We've got more responsibility. We've got more choices to make. Sometimes, we've got people that we are responsible to take care of, and that puts even more pressure on how we make those decisions. And there's some days when I feel at every turn there's just resistance. But for me, that is where God intervenes. These moments in our life when we feel no hope, God is there to remind us that he is fighting for us. And it doesn't mean that things are always going to turn out the way that we want them to, but we know that God writes a restoration story like no other. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. God knows what you will have to endure. And God knows what you're going through right now. And God is fighting for you. Our hope in this world, it's found in the power of God. A God that loves us so much that he uses his angels to minister to us. A God that loves us so much that he put his armor and his word for us to use. That is where hope is found. And we will not be disappointed because we know that with God's power, Satan and his angels have been defeated. As I look around the room, <laughs> I'm reminded that I'm not alone in this fight. Not only do we have angels that are fighting for the will of God to be done in our life, but we have our brothers and our six sisters that are sitting next to us that are fighting with us shoulder to shoulder. 
We need all the help that we can get. And God knew this from the beginning. And so he created us to be a community that goes through life together. We don't always know what our neighbors or our coworkers or our kids or even our spouses are going through. But because of the word of God, we have the ability to share hope with everyone that we come in contact with. So this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to send a message from scripture to two people this week, at least two people this week. I want you to send a message from scripture, meaning you have to get into it. And I want you to send it to two people this week. I want you to be like an angel a messenger from God and send God's word to two people because God's word is absolute truth and because God's word has power to transform hearts. Your follow through on this takeaway could be a trajectory changer for someone's life. In the midst of all the opposition that we have in this world, let us share the word of God with each other and in doing so, we will be helping our neighbors put on the armor of God. God is fighting for you. May we not be spectators, but rather may we join the fight and follow him in battle. If you have questions about who God is, if you've been following God for a while now and things just seem like it is rough and you need to know more about this community, if you haven't started even getting into the battle because you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet and you have questions, we want to connect with you and we want to talk to you about that and be a part of this community knowing that we need each other to succeed and God knows that. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to, as a community, listen to your word. Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed, that God, that you would continue to do a work in us. I pray that every day we would make ourselves available to you to be able to do with us what you would have us do. God, you are good, and we thank you for the way that you fight for us. We thank you for the way that you love us. May we do the very best that we can to love you more than anything in this world, and God, to love our neighbor as ourself. We thank you for who you are. We pray that we can become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.